The following recording is from the pulpit at Northwest Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida. For more sermons, please visit our website, nwbcbradenton.org. We'd also love to hear how you have been blessed by this ministry, so please let us know by emailing us at office at nwbcbradenton.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For the last few weeks, we've been discussing this matter of Christian liberty in chapters 8 and we began 9 as well. In chapter 8, the question that was being asked of the Apostle Paul of the Corinthians was, can we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Paul says, yes, it depends. It depends, of course, on the context. But more importantly, what are you doing to your brother who might stumble and fall because of your freedom? That's the bigger question to ask. Yes, you may have the freedom to do something. You may have the right to do something, but that doesn't mean you, have, you ought to do it. For it might hurt someone else and create an obstacle for them to God. In chapter 9, Paul gives an example of how he exercises his Christian liberty for the sake of other people. As an apostle, we saw last week, Paul had the right to marry, but he didn't for the sake of the gospel. He could go to more places as a single man than he could as a married man. Paul had the right to be supported by those who, to whom he ministered to, but he never made any demands of them, regularly taking support. And his reasoning is quite simple, and it's found in verse 12. He says in verse 12, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul didn't exercise his liberty to be supported or take on a wife for this reason, for the sake of the gospel. So if you ask Paul, hey, can I exercise Christian liberty in this way? I think Paul's going to bring it back to this foundation. How does it affect the gospel? How will it create an obstacle between you and your brother? How could it create an obstacle between others who need to hear the gospel and your freedom? This is Paul's reasoning for his exercise of his Christian liberty in this way. And so today we'll continue with verse 19 in chapter 9. And Paul digs deeper into his evangelism strategy. In verse 19, Paul says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. You see, Paul did not see himself as one who existed that had to be served by other people. He did not see that his rights were more important than anyone else's. He says, although I am free from all people, meaning he doesn't owe anything to anybody. Even though that's true, he's made himself a servant to all. The word servant there in the original Greek is slave. It's a slave. In context, Paul says he is acting like he is in debt, even though he's not, to other people. And he acts and lives as he owes them something, even though he doesn't. 
You see, when you pridefully want to display your Christian freedom over other people, no matter what they think or how they feel or how it will affect them, what you are doing is you're treating them like a slave. What Paul says, in spite of my liberty, I have counted myself as a slave to serve others instead of making other people serve me. Don't like it too bad. Deal with it. I'm going to eat this meat sacrificed to idol. Deal with it. That's not what Paul says. I've considered myself a slave to that person, that I owe them something in this way. And so to exercise Christian liberty, even though you might have the right, is really a display of pride if you're doing it, even with the knowledge of how it'll affect other people. Paul says, look, even though I don't even owe that guy anything, I have the right to do with my liberty what I want to do, but I will not do that. Of course, in this context specifically, Paul is referring to himself being paid or not. Last week we said that. Paul did not take support from the people he ministered to. He never demanded anything, even though he had the right to do so. He made that argument in chapter 9. A laborer is deserving of his wages. Paul says, I don't walk around pretending like I'm other people's masters. I walk around making myself a slave and a servant to them. That goes against our grain, doesn't it? It does. And it's so difficult. Why? Because our sinful natures demand what? That we are the ones that are to be served. Our sinful natures demand that other people have to put up with us. Our sinful natures demand, hey, it's our way My way or the highway. But in the Christian life, there are bigger stakes that we must consider. Why would Paul do this? I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. Come on, Paul. Use some of that resume cred here, you know? No. What's your point, Paul? Why not make yourself number one? Why not make other people a slave to yourself in this way? Here's why. Why do you do this, Paul? That I might win more of them. That's what drives Paul. What drives Paul is not his personal gain. It's not stacking his bank account. What drives Paul is winning people. Again, it goes back to knowledge and love that we saw in chapter 8. This is what the Corinthians were struggling with. They had all the knowledge but no love for each other. Paul's knowledge tells him he has the right to be paid. But Paul's love of people says, I will sacrifice that so that I can win them because I'm not going to put anything as an obstacle between me and them and God. Why? Because Paul is trying to display a foundational Christian principle. People matter to God. People are more valuable than money. People are worth it. When I treat my Christian freedom as the number one priority in my life, what am I doing? I'm communicating that everyone else around me is not as valuable as what I want. That's not the Christian way. 
The word here that's used for win in this verse in the Greek literally means to gain. It's a financial word which has implications of profit and loss. If you buy a stock in a company for, let's say, $10 a share, you're going to want and hope that that stock that you purchase at $10 goes up in value, right? You're going to want that stock, hopefully one day, to maybe double in price, maybe be $20 a share, so that you can cash in and make a profit. That is what the word that Paul uses here means. He's investing something so that he can win, gain, profit more of them, and it's not finances, as we already know. So in essence, what is Paul investing? Paul is investing self-denial. Paul is investing a refusal to exercise freedom so that he might gain more people. What's in it for Paul? The glory of God. That's what's in it for Paul. Remember, Paul has already downplayed. Remember, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we saw there's Team Paul and Team Apollos. We already see that Paul is not trying to build his fan club. He's not in it for the money. He's not in it for the accolades. He's not in it for the notoriety. He's already scolded them for that. He's not trying to gain people so that people can have, be more on his team. That would just be prideful and selfish. When he talks about winning people, it's about winning people for the kingdom. Winning a brother or sister who might stumble and fall and be dominated by that very sin that so encapsulated them before. This is what Paul's reward is. Paul's reward is in the gospel. And he tells us this in verse 18. We saw this last week. Verse 18, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That's my reward. My reward, my profit, is to boast in Jesus Christ and not in my own riches. To boast in Jesus Christ and not in my own comfort. Why? Because people matter to God. And this is how we ought to think of all areas of Christian liberty. Who is more important, you or other people? You could exercise your Christian liberty as far as you're not creating an obstacle or a hindrance or a stumbling block to those around you. Paul's reward is not getting paid. Doesn't that sound backwards? What Paul glories in isn't not paying me, please. That's what his reward is. Wow. Incredible. So how does Paul do this? I mean, how does this, how does this practically work out in your life, Paul? Look at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. You see, Paul was a Jewish man. So when he says that he became as a Jew, he's not that he's converted back to his Judaism or he's compromised his principles. He's already a Jew by birth. It means this. 
that when he is around other Jewish people, he is not going to unnecessarily offend them by something that would be culturally offensive to them. Even though Paul is a Jew, he knows, for example, that he is underneath the new covenant. The old covenant has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The new covenant has blessings of, for God's people and different promises, fulfilling those of the old. And so Paul is not under the law anymore as a requirement for salvation. Because Jesus Christ has already fulfilled all those things and has freed us from the curse of the law. Paul knows this. For, for example, he knows that his Jewish people that he's trying to reach don't understand that yet. And you know, Paul's church planning strategy, every city that he went to, he went where first? To the Jew first, and then to the Greek. He went to the Jewish synagogues to preach the gospel. First place he'd go to, he'd find the Jewish people in that town. The Jew first, and also to the Greek. So, when Paul rolls into Ephesus, Paul says this, and he didn't really say this, but let's just say, okay? Paul says, you know, I have the right to eat bacon. Anyone else here like bacon? Okay, amen. See, I, everyone's paying attention now. Here we go. <laughs> Paul has a right to eat bacon. Why? Because he's not underneath the law anymore. See, God forbid the Jews in the Old Testament underneath the Mosaic law from eating pork. But we now know in the New Covenant, and Peter found out in Acts chapter 10, what God has said is clean, don't call unclean. Go ahead and eat what God, what you considered unclean before. Go ahead. It's okay. Eat pork. Amen to that. So Paul knows, I have a right to eat bacon. So when Paul rolls into town, and it's lunchtime, and he's going into the synagogue, he's not going to open up his lunchbox and pull out a BLT. Can Paul eat a BLT? Of course he can. He's in Jesus Christ, not underneath the law. But what good is that? When you're, trying to influ- when you're trying to win Jewish people to the Savior, and you're going to eat a BLT in front of them. This is what Paul is saying. When I was around Jews, I became as if I was a Jew. What does that mean? I'm not going to offend them by this stuff. That stuff doesn't matter yet. They don't get that yet. But once they know Jesus, they will. You guys were promised a Messiah. You see, this guy doesn't need to offend them unnecessarily. This is what I mean by this. Some people think that being an evangelistic, being an evangelist is being a jerk. Like go in there and just tick everyone off. So that they will repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. You don't have to be a jerk to win people for Jesus. Because the truth itself is offensive. Paul doesn't need to go in there and offend them with a BLT. Because all he has to say is this. Hey, you guys were promised a Messiah. You waited for a Messiah. The Messiah came and then you killed him. And then he rose from the dead. And now if you don't believe in him, you're all going to hell. That's offensive. He doesn't need a BLT to get them upset. All he has to do is tell them the truth. And he's already offended them in the right way. But for Paul, he knows that a BLT would create an obstacle. An obstacle. And for Paul, people are more valuable than a BLT. I wonder what you're all going to have for lunch today. 
Nope. I could eat pork or bacon in front of but not in front of those guys. Not going to do it. Now that's a silly illustration that obviously we can't find anywhere Paul ate a BLT. But let me give you one or two examples of where this was true in the apostles' life here in the New Testament. The first thing he, we could see that he did is that he had Timothy circumcised. What's the big deal about that? I thought all Jews were circumcised. Well, the thing about Timothy is he wasn't Jewish. He was Gentile. In Acts 16.3, Paul on his missionary journeys, this is what we read. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy, you want to be my protege? You want to be a traveling partner with me? Great. Listen, I know you're a Gentile and all. And you totally have the freedom not to do this. You don't have to be circumcised at all, Timothy, because you're a Gentile. And now we're in the new covenant and God doesn't require circumcision of our flesh. He requires circumcision of our hearts and faith and repentance towards God. But, you know, Timothy, if you're going to come with me, we're going to places where they know that you're not circumcised. And they know who your dad is. So they know you're not going to be circumcised. And if I take you with me, Timothy, in all these Jewish synagogues, they're not going to hear a word we say. And that's going to offend them. So Timothy, if you want to come with me, you've got to have a little operation, okay? Poor Timothy. Poor Timothy. But why does Paul do it? For the sake of the gospel. Why? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. Here's another example. We see in Acts chapter 18, Paul observes a Nazarite vow. And he did this in thankfulness to God. And then in Acts 21, he also pays the vows, the Nazarite vows for four different people. But when he's around Jewish people and you took a Nazarite vow, a Nazarite vow, think of this, you would let your hair grow long, right? Think of Samson. You know, Delilah cut his hair. Samson was underneath a Nazarite vow. So, Jew, so Paul was underneath a Nazarite vow at this time to show his thankfulness to God. And when a Jew made a vow outside of Jerusalem, they were to cut their hair at the end of the days of the vow. Now, he doesn't have to do that. But what does he do? He cuts his hair. Then you're supposed to present your hair at the temple and pay the price of your vow. Look at verse 18 and Acts 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with them Priscilla and Aquila. A century he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So here he is going into the synagogue to preach the gospel to Jewish people. If he goes in there with long hair, they're going to say, Paul, you're not in Jerusalem. Why is your hair still long? He knows that. What does he do? Cuts his hair. Why? Because he's not going to create an unnecessary obstacle in the way of the gospel. Because these Jewish people that he needs to preach Jesus to are more important 
than even his exercise of his liberty in this area. Those are just two examples that we could show you quickly from scriptures where Paul exercises his liberty and thinks of how other people are going to be offended and not hear the gospel and thinks that is more important than his liberty. Hmm. Look at verse 21. Not only to the Jewish people did he become as a Jew, but look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those under the law. He did the same thing with Gentile people. When he was around Jews, let's just say he was kosher. And when he was not with the Gentiles, he was not kosher. He didn't take Jewish customs and force them onto Gentiles in order for Gentiles to be saved. He knows that Gentiles, many Gentiles don't like Jewish people, especially in the first century world. And so why is he going to bring all this Jewishness and then create an obstacle for the, Jew, for the Gentile people in hearing the gospel? Again, does it make sense? And it's not as if Paul wants to convert them to Judaism. Of not, that's another gospel. And he slams the Galatians for this very reason. This is why he tells the Galatians that they're preaching another gospel because they're trying to force these new Gentile believers into making them Jewish. Paul didn't do that. So to make a Gentile person do Jewish customs that were not meant for Gentiles would again place an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Look at verse 22. Paul says this, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. The weak here would be in reference to what Paul mentioned in chapter 8. It is those who considered eating meat sacrificed to idols as sinful. And so he labels the weak as having a weaker conscience. Not that they're physically weak, but that their consciences are weakened because they don't have the proper knowledge yet. And so what he's trying to say here is, Again, bringing it back home to that whole meat sacrificed idols. Here, you have the right knowledge. And your weaker brother with a seared conscience cannot understand that. So when you're around your weaker brother, even though you have the right to eat that meat, don't eat it. And so Paul says, when I be, when I, to the weak, I became weak. I didn't mess with those things. I didn't not necessarily offend them. I didn't want to push them away. Why? Because I want to win the weak. I want to win them. I want to gain them. I'm not going to try to isolate them. In the name of my liberty, in the name of my pride, it's my way or the highway. Deal with it. You bunch of dummies that don't get this. No. They don't have the same knowledge of liberty that you possess. And they're easily tripped up. And they could easily fall back into their former lifestyle. Don't do that. And then Paul sums it up by saying this. Jews, Gentiles, the weak. Well, I've become all things to all people. Why? That by all means I might save some. I do this with all people, Paul says. Jews, Gentiles, weak, you name it. I'm not going to create an obstacle in the way of the gospel. I become what I can be to them. And if they're going to be offended, let them be offended by the truth, not by me. Why? Let me 
try to at least save some of them. We know we're not going to get all of them. It's not up to us anyway. But I don't want to get in the way of anything that I can get in the way of. Paul's purpose here, and this is very important. And you might say, Paul, aren't you like just catering to people? Aren't you just like catering to people's weaknesses? Are you just trying to be the nice guy, Paul? No, again, remember, Paul sees his refusal to exercise liberty as an investment. He's, in, he's investing his refusal of liberty for people because people matter to God so that people could come to know Christ. For Paul, that was a worthwhile investment. I do it all, verse 23, for the sake of of the gospel. This is why I do it. This is why I don't get paid. This is why I don't get married. This is why I don't eat meat sacrificed to idols in the firm. This is why I don't eat a BLT in a Jewish synagogue. Why? I do it for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may share with them in its blessings. They don't yet have the freedom that I do. They don't yet know the Jesus that I know. They don't yet have the peace of their heart like I have peace in my heart. And what I want them to know more than anything in this world is the Jesus who will give them this peace and freedom. And this is why this investment of sacrificing myself for them in this way is worth it. Because I want them to know what I know. I want them to experience what I've experienced. The glories of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ by a crucified and risen Savior who saves sinners who call in him in faith and repentance and will save them to the uttermost. Yes, this is what Paul means. So when he says, I've become all things to all people, I want to clarify something here. Because this is a verse that is often abused and misinterpreted in many Christian circles and churches. And many people think what Paul means here is that Paul is willing to compromise the truth to win people. That is not what Paul is doing. Paul is not watering down the gospel in order to win people. Just read the rest of the New Testament and that's pretty clear. Paul is not um, trying to uh, uh, cater to their culture and make sin acceptable. I become all things to all people. So if they're sinning, I'll just sin with them so I can win them. No. That's not what becoming all things to all people means for Paul. It's in the context is this an obstacle? Is this not a sin? And why am I doing it? I mean, well, I mean, why is this important in this equation? No, I'm not going to confuse that with that. What Paul is saying is I'm not going to compromise the truth, but I'm willing to compromise my freedom in order to win people. And we see churches do this all the time. They water down the truth to reach people. Many churches don't even preach or even use the word sin or repentance or, God forbid, hell 
in their preaching. Why? Because they don't want to offend people. Many churches are now affirming of homosexuality. Why? Because they want to win those people. So why are we going to preach against their sin? Here's the thing. You can't win them to Christ unless you call them to repentance and give them the truth. It's not about winning numbers. Paul is not saying, I'm here so we can get as many people crowded into one place as possible. See, we can do that. We can compromise the truth. We can make the gospel not offensive. And we will have this building busting at the seams. And many churches do. Why? Because they've compromised the truth. In the name of winning people. But all you've done is have more people in seats who will still one day most likely go to hell because they've never heard the plain truth. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul would go into these towns. He would preach a crucified and risen Jesus. He would go into these synagogues and say, the Jesus whom you guys crucified, who we crucified, I'm a Jew too, the Jesus whom we crucified is now King of kings and Lord of lords. He's sitting and ruling on the right-hand side of the Father. You must turn to him and repent of your sins and trust in him. He's the only way. And they accused him of being against Moses and being a lawbreaker because they didn't understand. Paul is willing to offend them with the truth. That's not what becoming all things to all people mean. No, it means I'm not going to be, let myself and my necessary freedoms get in the way of you hearing it. Paul is not saying here to use worldly or godless ideas to reach people. Paul is not going to rely on human ingenuity, winsomeness, or his craftiness, or his creativity. No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to, he's not going to put on a show and say, look, we had a thousand people show up. We have a church. No, you don't have a church unless you have people who will repent of their sins, trust in Jesus as the only way, and get baptized and covenant together. That's what a church is. Any people, you can get a crowd anywhere, even for a religious experience. That's not a church. And that's what we have today. We have today the religious goods, the exchange of religious goods and services in the name of entertainment, but no gospel. No, no preaching the word of God. We're preaching ideas of men. We're preaching movies. We're preaching TV shows. We're preaching jokes and riddles. We're preaching everything but Christ. Becoming all things to all people. It has nothing to do for Paul with Minimizing the truth, watering the truth, relying on human tactics. No, he says, I'm not going to let myself get in the way over my freedom. That's the context of that verse. Paul is determining to not be the one final stone that causes people to trip over themselves into hell. If they're going to trip over themselves into hell, let, them because, let it be because they refuse to hear the truth. And this is very clear 
if you read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, which we did last summer. I know it's been a while. Last June, we were in chapter 1. And remember, Paul was again scolding the Corinthians because there were some people in that church who were saying, well, Paul, you're whatever. But Apollos, he's the better eloquent speaker. Be, we need more eloquence and winsomeness and craftiness to win people. We need to rely on human philosophy in order to win people. And so if Paul meant all things to all people, he would not have meant what he said in chapter 1 if he meant to water down the truth. In fact, let's, let's revisit what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Remember, because they were saying, Oh, I was baptized by so-and-so. And they were taking their identity in that. But to preach the gospel. And listen, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There it is. We preach Christ crucified. He's the stumbling block. Let him be the stumbling block that people trip over into hell, not you. Not your right to eat a BLT in the Jewish synagogue. Not you. Let them. Be offended at Christ. This is what matters. I think far too many churches care more about what the world thinks than what God thinks. We see that again and again and again. We saw that as our messengers went to the Southern Baptist Convention in June of 2022. And in 21, they said the same thing again and again as they were creating this godless ideology centered around wokeness and liberalness and catering to all this Me Too movement and all this stuff that is just not caring what God thinks, but what the world thinks. And literally from the platform, they said repeatedly, the world is watching. The world is watching. We got to do the right thing. The world is watching. How about God is watching? Who cares what the world says? They're going to be offended anyway. That's what Paul says. Preach Christ. They're going to be offended. Look at verse 24. Remember, Paul is trying to win people. Look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Well, not all of them. I actually walk next week. I'm doing a 5K and I'm walking the 5K. But anyway, 
If you're a runner in a race, you probably run. But not me. I, I walk it. But anyway. But only one receives the prize? Yes. So run that you may obtain it. The runners in a race, they run because they want to be first. What is the prize? First place. It's the trophy. Run so that you will win. I'm not that much of a competitive person, so... um, I, I may have not spoken the truth there. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Th- th- this is what Paul is saying. The one who wins the race in this Christian life is not the one who finishes the race the most comfortable, exercising the most freedoms he can. The one who wins the race is the one who is able to bring the most people with him to the finish line. Why? Because people matter to God. What are you trying to win? I'm trying to win people. You're trying to win your freedom? What's more important? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In these days of the Greek games, the winners would receive this wreath placed on their head. As their gold medal or silver medal or whatever that we do today in the Olympics. They would receive this wreath. Well, the wreath would perish, obviously. It's going to dry up. They're running to get a prize that in two weeks will now will be dried up and good for nothing. But they still run all they can to win that prize, even though it's going to go away in a couple weeks. But what does Paul say? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, the race that we're running, what we're trying to win, imperishable. Why? Because people matter to God. You will live forever somewhere. Heaven or hell. We are winning, trying to win people because people matter. People will live eternally somewhere. So, I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I run with a direction. I run with purpose. I run with a mission. I run to win people for God. I do not box as one beating the air. What does he mean? Well, when you're boxing, you're trying to hit the other person, right? Box beating the air. It's like, I don't box like I'm just hitting the air. What's the good for beating the air? But I discipline my body. And keep it under control. Lest I, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Am I in the way? Am I the one that's an obstacle? If you're living your life like that, Corinthians, you are missing the point of Christian freedom. People matter to God. This is why I don't get married. This is why I don't get paid. Why can't I? Absolutely. But I have sacrificed that off so I can glorify God in this way, because this is what he's called me to. Now, anyone who wants to get married, anyone, go ahead, do it. But this is what I've chosen to do for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word has been read today multiple times. Psalm 68, from Psalm 103, now 1 Corinthians 9. 
We pray the reading and the preaching of this word would have its sanctifying effect on your people to create in them the holiness in them that you desire. As their life is being transformed, let it be transformed by the word. Father, also help us to know what it means to exercise Christian freedom with a biblical perspective, with people and love and your glory in mind. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. We do not glorify him, but we've been given this example underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage us and show us what you, what you require of us. Let us love other people more than we love ourselves. It's easy to love ourselves, God. Give us a love for other people, whether it's those in our church family or whether it is those who don't know Christ. And may our desire be to win people. May we win each other in this room. May we grow closer together as a church family and love for one another. And God, may we win other people who don't know you by thinking logically about what could be an obstacle to keep them from hearing the gospel. And may it never be us. Give us the boldness to preach Christ no matter who is going to be offended. Give us the boldness to preach the truth of your word no matter who is going to kill us or chase us or cancel us. For God, we run with a purpose. We answer to one master, and that's you. We don't box as beating the air. We don't run aimlessly. We run with a purpose. So God, help us to glorify you by profiting from as many people to hear the gospel and to be saved from the fires of hell so that they would know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent to die on the cross for sinners and to rise again from the dead. Oh God, help us. Do your work through your word in your people as you will. In your name we pray, amen.